This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Brad Living to the Toronto Maple Leafs. More on that coming up in Hour 2 with both Greg Wyshynski and also Luke Fox from Sportsnet.ca. In the meantime, we turn our attention to the Stanley Cup Final. Anybody remember that? I know we're all kind of going, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs about all the uh, the latest news and what's happening with the Penguins and Kyle Dubas and the Ottawa Senators' sale and all the coaching vacancies and Brad Living in Toronto Let's not forget here, there's a Stanley Cup final uh, on the horizon between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers. Uh, Vegas Vegas, and their long-suffering fans get to see the Vegas Golden Knights in the Stanley Cup final. Again, Ben Goats from the Las Vegas Review Journal joins me now. Ben, how are you today? Not too bad. Just, you know, recovering from a couple days of eating barbecue in Dallas and now ready to get going in this next series. <laughs> Let me uh, let, let me ask you about that before we get to the Florida Panthers series here, and you know we'll we'll hit a, a, on a lot of the topics that I, I think people would uh, would expect us to talk about. How did you view that final game? Because I'll tell you, from my perch and Ben, I think from a lot of people's perches as well, that seemed like it was the Vegas Golden Knights just saying, "Okay, enough is enough. Let's just end this, get our rest, and turn our attention to Florida." How did you see Game Six? Yeah, that's really exactly how it played out. I think they were sick of hearing about the fact that they, you know, might be one of the first teams to go from 3-0 up to going to a Game 7. They were sick and tired of hearing about the momentum that Dallas was building and that supposedly all the pressure was on them at that point. I think they just wanted to come out and show that they were the better hockey team, and they came out with their best game of the playoffs with obviously the fourth line of William Carrier, Nick Waugh, and Keegan Colas are leading the way. And I know specifically that group, even though, you know, Waugh got moved down there for game six. Carrier said, you know, a lot of the Dallas players kind of stepped up and scored in game five where they get a Luke Glendening goal. They get two goals from Ty Delandria. And I think the Knights' bottom six kind of mm-hmm. took that personally of we lost that matchup. So now we're going to come out uh, and show you from the start of game six. And that's really what happened with the fourth line scoring, you know, two first period goals made a great shift to start the game as well out against the hint line, which I think set the tone for everything that happened after. Yeah. You know, I want to get to some of the headline makers with the Vegas Golden Knights, but let me ask you about Keegan Colasar as well from, from your perch and you see him game in game out, practice in practice. So what do you think we should know about Keegan Colasar. I think, you know, Canadian hockey fans know him as, you know, the guy that went at Kane. Uh, but what should we know about Colasar, who I thought in Game 6, specifically in the first period, was just was just amazing, specifically with some really good board play? Yeah, I mean, he's been such a key cog to that fourth line, right? He's physical, he's good on the forecheck, he hounds pucks, and he has a finishing touch when he gets it on a stick. I mean, two goals uh, in the playoffs so far. He's able to finish plays when he gets opportunities and he's just a well-liked guy right I mean I think the image that will forever stick uh, in my mind from the end of game six is him wrapping his arms around Riley Smith and William Carlson the three of them just jumping up and down uh, on the ice I mean he's a really well-liked guy in the locker room I mean he was slapping the mm-hmm. chest of William Carrier uh, as well he's you know meant I think a lot to this team as he wasn't a draft pick but he is a homegrown guy right he was one of the first players on the ice at the night's first ever development camp so the fact that he's kind of come through their pipeline and be a key cog in their operation i think means a lot to uh, this franchise and he's played you know a key role in the success that they've had with their depth in the regular season and of course now in the playoffs how much do you think this 
uh, what we're seeing out of Jack Eichel can be called the uh, the Jack Eichel Redemption Tour. Like, I, I remember game one of the playoffs wasn't exactly great for Jack Eichel. I think that story's, story's been uh, well told. But h- how much of this do you think is just Jack Eichel trying to reset the story around him? And make no mistake about it, hockey fans in Canada are looking at this and saying to themselves, um, Jack Eichel is probably going to win the Stanley Cup here before Connor McDavid, with all due respect to the Florida Panthers here. Jack Eichel's got, maybe we'll put it more diplomatically, Jack Eichel is going to compete for the Stanley Cup before Connor McDavid is. Yeah, I mean, I think he's done a lot to change the story around him, right? I mean, I think obviously coming out of Buffalo when he came to the Knights, it was, can you win with this guy? And obviously not only are the Knights winning with him, they're winning in a lot of ways because of him. And I think the area where he surprised people the most, and I know even his teammate Ivan Barbashev said after he got traded here, is his defensive effort. I mean, all the skills that Jack has that makes him such a good offensive player, smooth skater, you know, long reach, big body, he's using all of those on both sides of the puck now where you see him being one of the first guys back on the back check. He's hitting guys and creating loose pucks and turnovers. I mean, same with that huge stick of his where he's, you know, creating turnovers for his teammates to then get going the other way. I think that's what's really been the impressive part of this you know, postseason is obviously the 18 points in 17 games are very exciting. He's made yeah. some huge plays, uh, including the pass, I mean, behind the goal line to Marcia So to tie up uh, game two against the Stars late in regulation. Just a phenomenal play. But I think it's the defensive work, too, where, I mean, the Knights are just not getting scored on uh, very often when he's on the ice. I believe it's only six five-on-five goals against in about 240 minutes. He's been really, really good on both ends of the ice, and that's why the Knights are in the position they're in. You know, that that's why, and listen, we heard this story around once upon a time, it was Steve Eiserman. But after that, you know, once upon a time, it was about Alex Ovechkin, the um, you-can't-win-with-this-guy story. Um, to me is is always folly because it's true until it's not. And I don't think there's any reason to believe that it was true of Iserman when people were saying it around the wings and ditto for the Washington Capitals and Alex Ovechkin and, and right now here with, uh, with Jack Eichel of the Buffalo Sabres. Um, are there two, are there two players or maybe even is there one player who wants to win against Florida more then Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith for the obvious expansion draft reason. I know everyone wants to win the Stanley Cup there, but there's. it seems as if, and it would feel as if, there's, I don't know how you say it, Ben, maybe extra spice in the chili for Marchessault and Smith here? So I think there absolutely is. I mean, I don't think either of those guys, especially Marchessault, has forgotten that not only was Marchessault an expansion draft pick coming up a 30-goal season, the Knights were able to get Riley Smith somehow as a throw-in to a trade in what yeah. seemed like a very obvious pick to take Marcia so, uh from the Panthers. So, no, I absolutely think, you know, no matter what they say over the coming days and however diplomatic they try to be about it, uh, there is still going to be that ship on their shoulder from leaving the Florida Panthers. And listen, I think that's going to go both ways, too. I've already seen uh, this quote resurfacing from Riley Smith when he got asked about playing in the bubble uh, in 2020 in Edmonton, and he was like, what's it going to you know, be like playing with no fans, or what was it like playing with no fans? And he was like, well, I played in Florida for a while, uh, so it wasn't that different. So that 
uh, was absolutely going around on social media. I saw the other day. So I think it's going to be spicy on both sides. But, I mean, there's no doubt. If you make a list of the teams that helped the Knights the most in the expansion draft process, I mean, Florida has to be absolutely mm-hmm. right at the top of the list. And that's probably or potentially going to come back to bite the Panthers in this series. Uh, absolutely. You know, there's um, this is a Vegas Golden Knights team that was built by two general managers. One is the president now, and that's George McPhee, and now the GM is, of course, Kelly McCrimmon. And when it comes to McCrimmon, we think of the big moves, right? Like, we'll think about Jack Eichel and Alex Petrangelo, etc. But there's there's when I look at this roster, there's one quiet move by each manager that continues to pay off huge for Vegas, for George McPhee, it's Chandler Stevenson. And for Kelly McCrimmon, it's Ivan Barbashev. Do you have a thought on these two players for the Knights? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Steven's been, you know, outstanding since he came over. I mean, I think even regarding the expansion draft, that Stevenson for a fifth-round pick trade is probably the best in Knights history in terms of him yeah. being an all-star this year, being the perfect complement to Mark Stone in terms of giving Stone a speedy center who can open up room for him, who can make himself available. I mean, the chemistry those two have uh, is just outstanding. And now you get put Stevenson down the middle with an Eichel and a William Carlson. It just makes the night so hard to match up against line for line. Um, and Barbashev has just been the perfect fit with Marcia so and Eichel. He's given them that extra dimension on the forecheck in front of the net in the offensive zone. So that line doesn't totally have to be a rush dependent line. They're able to open up a little bit more space for each other in the offensive zone. Um, and they've really been dominant. I mean, as a trio, they are three of the night's uh, four leading scorers so far uh, in the playoffs. And I think it's a testament to the work that this team's pro scouting staff has done. I mean, it's not just those guys, right? They got Michael Amadio who scored some big goals for them in the playoffs on a waiver claim. Uh, their starting goalie, Aiden Hill, was available for a fourth-round pick from the Sharks uh, in August. Uh, Brett Howden, fourth-round pick, uh, they got him for. So they've made a lot of these little moves to kind of complement their big moves over the years, and that's why this kind of entire roster picture has been able to come together like it has. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights fans, I always joke uh, and say the long-suffering Vegas Golden Knights fans finally get to see their, Stanley, their, their team in a Stanley Cup final. Uh, is, this, uh, is this fan base the most spoiled fan base in all of hockey right now, Ben Goats? I mean, it's pretty got to be pretty close up there. I will say I do think the fact that this <laughs> team you know, crashed out of the playoffs uh, last year, I do think gave uh, the fans and obviously I think even the players a greater appreciation for what this run means because they were sitting, you know, on their couches last spring and summer. I think the energy that the fans came back with felt a little bit different. Obviously the enthusiasm, the energy that the players started training camp with was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So listen, it overall has been an absolute dream ride for this team. I mean, they're second in playoff wins since they entered the league to only the Tampa Bay Lightning. It really is hard to get much better than what they've done. But I think specifically the timing of this run coming off the disappointment of last year does have people enjoying it, you know, that extra level compared to if they had maybe just continued to roll off those back-to-back semifinal appearances in 2020 and 2021. You know, I'm really, you know, I'll be honest with you, Ben. I'm really curious to see how this series does um, from a media point of view stateside um, for, for one reason specifically. 
This is, albeit, I understand, this isn't the Rangers playing the Kings. Uh, I get that. This isn't the Bruins playing the Hawks. Like, we all understand the, the nature of the markets that are involved here. But um, Vegas has become a really important financial driver for the, uh, for the National Hockey League. Uh, what's happening in Sunrise with the Florida Panthers uh, is, is well needed, going, you know, going back to a very successful All-Star uh, weekend in Fort Lauderdale as well. Um, the interesting thing about this one is, from a from a from a Canadian watching the American market here, albeit two smaller market teams, but there's two of the biggest American superstars in this series, in Matthew Kachuk and Jack Eichel. Uh, you're there, I'm not. Uh, is this like? Is there any flypaper to this? Like, is this is this sticky for sports fans in the United States? Jack Eichel. Uh, versus Matthew Kachuk, two incredibly huge U.S. superstars going head-to-head over hockey's greatest prize. Has it stuck yet with sports fans? I think we'll find out during this series, but I hope so, right? Because as you said, this has a chance to, even though these aren't the biggest markets in hockey, this has a chance to be great theater, right? You've got Matthew Kachuk just chewing on his mouth guard, Jack Eichel trying to erase all these narratives. And even though he's not, you know, an American, you've got Mark Stone with the zaniest celebrations you can come up with. I mean, you know that if the Knights score an overtime goal, he's going to rival Kachuk, Selly for Selly, which I think has the chance to be incredible. So I think there's so many cool storylines on both sides, especially because these are not exactly the most traditional hockey markets. You know, I don't think Lord Stanley of Preston was dreaming up you know, that cup going to Vegas or Sunrise, (laughs) Florida. But I do think these are fun, exciting teams with cool personalities. And I'm excited to see how it plays out because I do think it has the chance to be a very fun series to follow. Uh, I agree. I think the hockey is going to be really good. And one of the things that I like about uh, these two teams specifically uh, is it flies in the face of everything that we've been led to believe about how you achieve success in the NHL. You know, much like I, don't, I, I always don't, I, I never like the idea that, oh, you can't win with this guy. And we talked about that with Jack Eichel. Um, I've always really had a hard time with the you can only win by drafting and development narrative. Um, sure, there are some you know draft picks that were developed by the Vegas Golden Knights uh, on this roster, but this is an expansion draft and trade and sign roster. And when you look at the Florida Panthers, sure, there's Barkov, sure, there's Anton Lundell, sure, there's Aaron Ekblad, but then after that, it's a whole bunch of trades and free agent signings that populate up and down uh, this Florida Panthers roster. So this really isn't like... I can't remember the last time we had, you know, a Stanley Cup final, and maybe the answer is never, that featured two teams that essentially weren't built through the draft as we see them competing for the Stanley Cup. Do you have a thought on that one? Yeah, I like having different ways to do it, right? Like you mentioned, I mean, the Knights have gone out and been aggressive to fill what they feel are like the top-end holes in their lineup. They wanted to go out and get, a number one defenseman after losing in the bubble in Petrangelo. They felt they needed a number one center after losing in six games to Montreal. So they get Jack Eichel. And then obviously you have the Florida Panthers who same thing. They get swept in the second round last year. And despite winning the president's trophy, they're like, no, we need to shake this up. We're not going to be afraid to trade two core pieces away to get what we feel is going to be a huge piece for us. And Matthew Kachuk. And like I, said, I like how both teams I've done it a different way where even though these aren't necessarily homegrown guys in terms of drafting and developing, they've both done an excellent job kind of finding these 
under-the-radar gems and made them better in their system. I mean, I've already talked about guys like Aiden Hill, you know, Brett Howden, Michael Amadio uh, for the Knights, you know, low-cost yeah. acquisitions that have now kind of filled out this lineup. And obviously in Florida, you see the same thing where they've picked off a bunch of guys like Carter Verhage, uh, you know, Brandon Montour that weren't, you know, didn't cost a lot to get, but they've turned them into really good players. And even a guy like Sam Bennett, who came in with a lot of pedigree, they've taken him to another level. So I think it's a credit to the pro scouting staffs of both organizations and the development path for both organizations where they've brought in these guys and taken their games to another level. Uh, So it doesn't always have to be that guy being in-house the whole time. You can find guys out there that maybe other teams have overlooked and turn them into your core pieces if you're willing to invest the time and the energy in them. You know, it was uh, not that long ago, we'll, uh, we'll end on this one, that Bill Foley, the owner of the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, stood up and said, we're going to win a Stanley Cup within six years. And Ben, as you well know, the entire hockey world, to be kind, snickered, if not laughed, if not howled. Uh, no one's laughing anymore. Vegas is in the Stanley Cup final once again. Uh, and they're the favorites uh, to beat the Florida Panthers. We'll see what happens when we get there. Ben, thanks as always for stopping by. Really, really appreciate your expertise and your insight. Thanks so much for doing this, pal. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. We will see you at Media Day in uh, Vegas on Friday. There he is, Ben Goats from the Las Vegas Review Journal, uh, Vegas and Florida. I am really curious to see what happens here from the U.S. point of view. Two superstars head to head, Eichel Kachuk. Uh, and we just saw Matthew Kachuk over the weekend on the NBA on TNT sets. Uh, that can only help, and he did great. And you would imagine the NHL would have looked at that and said, that's what we're trying to get done here. So we'll see what happens in the playoffs between these two teams. Uh, in the meantime, a lot of news to chew on. That continues the latest. And we'll get to uh, Greg Wyshynski on this, and then a little bit later on, Luke Fox. Brad Treliving on his way to Toronto to become the next general manager of the Maple Leafs. We'll get on that page in a moment. As America Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and Sportsnet Now. Be right back. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so moments ago, the Toronto Maple Police made it official, something we've been talking about, well, specifically the past couple of days, but really the past couple of weeks, and that is Brad Living has now become the next general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Luke Fox covers the Maple Leafs for Sportsnet.ca, and he joins me now. Luke, how are you today? Not exactly a surprise, but nonetheless, it is newsworthy. Brad Living is now the manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Your wide-brush thoughts before we start to drill down here a little bit. Yeah, I guess um, I'm happy it got settled before uh, the Stanley Cup final starts. Uh, you know, it, I guess one of the main things is it didn't seem like there was any real competition. Um, I know Brendan Shanahan talked to some other people, but we're not even certain that those were formal interviews per se. Brad Living was the first name that kind of popped up as a serious candidate. Um, there was never really anyone that overtook him in, in the race, at least, you know, publicly or 
that any of the reporters knew about. Mm. And so, so here we are. I, I think two things stand out about the man. And, and number one is his experience, which Brendan Shanahan stated from the outset of this search was uh, a really big priority for the Maple Leafs. And he has been uh, played a part in some major trades. Um, so I, I think specifically the, the Johnny Gaudreau, uh, which wasn't a trade, but the Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk situation of just a summer ago, his experience going through that hopefully makes him a, a more experienced and better GM. And I think the second thing that really stands out to me is that he's a, a hard worker and a relationship guy. He, he has great relationships with his players, with his fellow general managers. Uh, he can manage up very well. Uh, and he's also very good with, with the media. It's hard to find someone in the hockey world that won't say nice things about Brad Trey living and how he treats people. Um, you know, what stood out to me in particular was right after Matthew Kachuk scored his uh, series clinching goal against the Carolina Hurricanes, he was doing an uh, interview um, right on the ice with TNT, and he thanked Brad for living. Um, now, you could say, well, the, the Flames lost the trade. Why did they get rid of Kachuk? But that was a very delicate situation. The player wanted out, and Trey Living worked uh, with the Panthers, with the player, and made it a, a very seamless transition and got a, a very, you know, at the time, everyone was over the moon with the haul the Flames got back for a player that was going to walk in a year anyway. So uh, he has the, the capability to pull off big moves, and I think that probably made him very appealing to Shanahan. You know, there's a there's, there's a couple of moments in um, in Brad Living's career that I that I think about um, when I think about him, uh, and now he's uh, installed as a Maple Leafs general manager. Uh, the Gaudreau situation, certainly um, the the Matthew Kachuk trade and Hubert Owen Weger coming back and the signing of Nazem Kadri and the the Jacob Markstrom uh, signing and the Tyler Toffoli acquisition and like there are a, a number of things that that Brad Living did um, with the Calgary Flames. The the one thing. Because I always look for like, hey, what was his biggest moment of adversity? And and might, some might say, well, it was a Johnny Gaudreau situation, and ultimately, you know, he got burned on it because Johnny Gaudreau walked in Calgary, didn't get anything for him. Um, but when I think of Brad for Living's career with the Calgary Flames, the the moments, and it's not just one moment, but it's a collection of moments because it did uh, take some time for this process to to play itself out. And this was the process around Bill Peters um, and, and how he was removed as the head coach of the Calgary Flames and how, I remember this, this all started to go down. It was in Buffalo um, when he was, I believe there was a suspension first and then a firing and everybody had a million questions uh, about how this was going down. And it was day by day, it was after every game, the Flames were on the road and it was Brad Treliving trying to be as open and transparent uh, while knowing that there was a legal proceeding going on, but still Brad Treliving trying to uh, to keep people up to date so stories didn't run wild as to what was happening with the Calgary Flames uh, and Bill Peters. To me, that was certainly a uh, a very uncomfortable time for uh, for uh, for Brad Treliving. 
Um, I don't think it was a difficult decision, but the process of getting there wasn't easy. And I'm sure there were a lot of sleepless nights for Brad for living. But that was kind of the the one one of the things that I that I think about with with Brad for living and uh, and how he conducted his affairs and how he conducted himself uh, with the Calgary Flames. Um, and that was you know certainly impressive. Were there a couple of moments uh, in his Flames career that stood out to you? Uh, for me, it was, it was how he handled the Bill Peters situation. Is there something for you, Luke? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say that I agree with you on that one. I remember he would meet with the media sometimes twice a day with local reporters just so yeah. everyone was uh, kept abreast of what was going on. He was very upfront. I thought he handled that very professionally and very thoroughly. Um, he conducting his own investigation. Meanwhile, you have to manage the the gary bettman and the league's concerns you have to deal with your players concerns all of a sudden they don't know who their head coach is going to be if, if their head coach is, is going to just disappear then he's got to seek a replacement mm-hmm. and all of that it, unlike um a pending free agent or a trade request you don't really have much time that seemed very sudden and he had to react swiftly and i, and I thought he handled it very well uh the other one i would bring up you know, that maybe doesn't get talked about because he was never officially aflame was the Adam Fox situation and realizing that you have the, have the right to this incredible player that everyone is raving about this, this really high thought of prospect and, you know, puck moving defensemen, my goodness, like they, they're so few and far between. And you have one um, that, um, that your team has under control, but realizing this kid's not going to sign with you. No chance. So what are you going to do? Are you going to find mm. a way to still get something back for an asset that would eventually just wither away because of his college rights would make him an NCAA free agent eventually? And, you know, as we know, he, he dictated his, his own path in, in going to the Rangers. But being able to package him in a trade, realizing that situation right away, and I think those are the type of challenges that he's going to face immediately, like starting – tomorrow when he arrives in in toronto uh he needs to know what austin matthews number is he needs to know how serious william nylander is about staying on he needs to figure out uh what the market is for mitch marner if you even dare want to explore a trade he needs to at least get the lay of the land on those those big players and those big decisions right away and i think his past experience will serve him well in that regard uh, I was going to say, what do, you, what do you think the initial conversations are here? You know, I, I, I think we all wonder about the conversation with Sheldon Keefe. To your point, you wonder about, you know, the talk with Lewis Gross, who's the agent for William Nylander, you know, the conversation with Judd Moldaver, uh, the conversation with Darren Ferris, uh, et cetera, all the, the necessary agents uh, for the core four that you have to talk to. You know, I, I, I'll tell you what, you know what I wonder about? And maybe it's a really easy one and I'm, I'm overthinking this thing. I wonder about the conversation with Mark Giordano, his former captain with the Calgary Flames, left exposed in the expansion draft, etc. He's now reunited with uh, with Mark Giordano in Toronto. Um, how do you feel about all of this? Who, what are, what are the the initial necessary conversations? Well, I, I think they, from my understanding, they have a good relationship, and you know, it, I think it was hard for Trey Living to part with you know what was an icon in, in Calgary. Um, exposing him in the expansion draft, knowing full well that he was the guy that Seattle was going to pick. And, you know, I think Gio, if you were to ask him, he just envisioned just staying with one team uh, the rest of his life. So I think that was a a difficult, you know, parting of the ways for both guys. But I I think Gio's a smart enough 
guy, savvy enough guy that he knew that it was just part of the business. And I, I don't get the sense that he holds any ill will to, towards tree living. In fact, um, you know, when, when the Leafs were, were still playing hockey and we were just making small talk in the dressing room, he was like asking reporters, oh, are you hearing anything about who they're getting in Calgary? Like he, he still had an interest on, on tree living's future and how all that was going to shake out. I think this is entirely up to the player. If the player wants to play, um, he's going to play. So I think it's, it's, up to, it's up to Giordano. If he looks and says, I'm making less than a million bucks, my body got battered and bruised, um, you know, um, I, I want to call it, then, then so be it. He doesn't need the money. But if he still has the passion to play and he wants to play, I cannot see Trey Living saying no. Uh, I still think he's fine value mm-hmm. for under a million, million bucks. I think he was just asked to, to play a top four role too much when really at this stage in his career, I think he can still be a, a serviceable, serviceable third-pairing guy. Uh, as for the to-do list, I'd say, you know, we need a decision on Sheldon Keith For, for Sheldon's sake, uh, for the players' sake, you know, I, I think it's important to Matthew's camp, to Nylander's camp, they want to know who the coach is going to be. So I think that's, that's something they need to figure out. Um, we're already seeing the coaching carousel start to spin. So they, that decision needs yeah. to be made pretty quickly. Now, is the um, in your estimation, is the conversation around Sheldon Keefe either extend or dismiss, or do you also include go into the season on the final year? Yeah, you can. Um, you can go in the season in the final year. But then, you know, when people make their coaches on the hot seat list, he'll probably be at the top. That's the and first, it'll yeah. probably, yeah, it'll probably be a bit of a distraction. Um, but are you going to, are you going to extend them? And, and how long do you extend them for? Like, you know, you're, you're probably not talking about a year. You're probably talking about two, three, four years. And, and has he done enough? To earn that I think he's been a fantastic regular season coach uh, I just think you know losing four out of the five postseason series that you're in and you know from my my point of view getting out coached in those series um, you know I, I don't know I don't know if he's he's earned a, a raise and uh, an extension um, so it's, it's a fascinating decision it's interesting that Shanahan left it up to Trey Living or whoever was going to take this seat to make that call, give them the option, yeah. uh, because then you start looking around and, you know, the candidates are, are getting snapped up. The, the Leafs lost one of theirs yesterday internally in Spencer Carberry, who, who was highly yep. sought after. Um, so I, I, it's, it's different than if it was last summer. Last summer there were some heavy hitters, right? You had Cassidy and DeBoer and yep. Trotz all kind of out there. But now it's who are you going to – are you going to bring in John Hines? Maybe. I don't know. But I – it's going to be a fascinating decision and one that I think Trey Living is going to have to come to relatively quickly. Uh, real quick, about 60 seconds for this one. Uh, the, the big issue has been the big issue for a while, and that is Austin Matthews and the Matthews camp, Judd Moldaver at Wasterman. Uh, very comfortable doing business with Kyle Dubas, and that relationship has been talked about a lot. Uh, how much has changed here, do you think, from, from Camp Matthews, if any, if anything at all? I would say just the person they're dealing with has changed. I have it on, on pretty good authority that uh, Trey Living actually touched base with Matthews Camp to get a sense of the, that situation even before he signed on to take this job with the Leafs. Um, he's a guy who does his due diligence, so that shouldn't be surprising. My understanding is that, you know, like most of his, the relationships he has with people in the hockey world, he has a good relationship with that camp. And yeah, 
Austin Matthews had a great relationship with Kyle Dubas, but that doesn't mean that he's decided to leave the Maple Leafs just because Dubas made the Maple Leafs. I think some people jump to that conclusion, but I would say that that's false. Mm-hmm. He still wants to be a Maple Leaf. Uh, Moldaver and Tree Living have a good relationship, from my understanding. So there's no reason that, that he's both those guys are, are not going to start to get to work. Uh, Trey Living needs to find out that number, though. What is that number? Because that's going to shape the rest of his decisions. Mm-hmm. Is it as easy as saying, well, McDavid's AAV is 12.5, uh, McKinnon's is 12.6, so Matthews is 12.7? Is that too easy? Well, if, if you're Judd Moldaver, why would you go for that? Why not start with 14 <laughs> or 15? Like, seriously, the cat, the cat. Oh. I know this, this summer it might only go up a million, but uh, summer of 24, yeah. it might take a huge spike. Um, and, and, and also they have all the leverage. Why rush? If you're offering 12.75 or something, why not? Why not wait? Yeah, it's, uh, that'll be a fascinating negotiation. I don't know that it gets oh, yeah. done by July 1st. Uh, Luke, listen, man, you've been on a lot lately, uh, for good reason. Uh, you got great insight, you know, the team and it's been a hot newsworthy once in the last little while. So always appreciate you coming on pal. You'd be good. All right. You too, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Luke Fox from Sportsnet.ca covering the Toronto Maple Leafs and the big story of the day. Uh, there'll be a press conference tomorrow morning, I believe at 11 uh, Eastern. So stay tuned for that as Brad Living is introduced to the uh, Toronto media and Toronto fans as the next general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, thanks to Luke Fox for stopping by. Thanks to Greg Wyshynski from ESPN every Wednesday here at MBSW Redux. Uh, ben Goats from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night. Jen, Lance, and Matt, thank you, thank you, thank you. 22 hours, we're back. More of the Merrick Show, Sportsnet Radio Network. Enjoy the rest of your day.